Father, for all that we have, we say thank you. No one here last night slept, uh, slept in dirt. We didn't sleep outside. We had a bed and we had clean sheets and had a hot shower this morning and a breakfast and got in the car and uh, went to a job. Even those of us that uh, didn't go to a job because we're out of work right now, we still had the bed and we still had the clean sheets and we still had the shower. We have so much in this country. We have so much. We are, we are just really the most affluent country in the history of the world. And it's so easy to lose perspective here. It's so easy to get cockeyed. It's so easy to lose perspective as to what it is we really have and what it is we have really been given. We understand that everything comes from your hand. The ability to work, the ability to earn a living uh, comes from you. Uh, the funds come from you, the energy to go out there and, uh, and uh, be creative and to show up and to give it our best shot, that comes from you. We have so much stability in our lives and at times we don't feel that way, but if we could just have the opportunity to take a missions trip somewhere into a third world country, we would be reminded of how much we have and how easy our lives really are. Once again, it's always a matter of perspective. We tend to compare ourselves with people who have more, but wisdom would dictate that we compare ourselves with people who have less. So we have thankful hearts tonight. Israel got in trouble in the wilderness when they began to murmur, when they began to complain, when they began to think about some of the things they used to have, but they conveniently forgot about how difficult things were in the midst of those things they enjoyed. There was great suffering. We don't want to second guess you. We just want to say thank you. We want to have grateful spirits. We want to have grateful attitudes. We want to have grateful hearts. When we start complaining, we get in trouble. Uh, that's a sure sign that we have lost perspective and we've lost a, um, a sense of reality. Lord, even in the times when we're struggling, even in the times when we're in the middle of a setback, uh, you are good to us. We don't always understand. We can't figure it out. We wonder why it's taking so long to change. Um, we are feeling great pressure uh, because we have many responsibilities to fulfill and it seems as though things are not moving the way that we would like. Now, some of us are there now and most of us have been there in the past if we're not there now. But Lord, for those of us who aren't there and have been there, you got us through. For those who are there, you'll get them through. And these things don't happen to us randomly. They happen for a reason and they happen for a purpose. And you're doing things deeper in our lives than we would even wish to go ourselves. So again, we say thank you. 
We thank you for the good times, and we thank you for the rough times. Job said, shall we accept prosperity from the Lord and not adversity? It all comes from your hand, and you have a purpose in sending both to us in the times and the fashions that you send them. So we just back off, and we back up, and, uh, and we bow the knee tonight in your presence, and we say thank you. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, once again tonight, we are in Genesis 39. You might go ahead and turn there. Wall Street Journal today. Front page, right-hand column. lead is idle hands. Under that headline is Detroit's symbol of dysfunction, colon, paying employees not to work. First couple of paragraphs. In his 34 years working for General Motors Corporation, one of Jerry Mellon's toughest assignments came this January. He spent a week in what workers call the rubber room. The room is a windowless old storage shed for engine parts. It is filled with long tables, according to Mr. Mellon, and has space for about 400 employees. They must arrive at 6 a.m. each day and stay until 2.30 p.m. with 45 minutes off for lunch. The supervisor roams the aisles, signing people out when they want to use the bathroom. Their job is to do nothing. This is the jobs bank, a nearly uh, a two-decade-old program under which nearly 15,000 auto workers continue to get paid after their companies stop needing them, turn wages and benefits that often top $100,000 a year. The workers must perform some company-approved activity. Many do volunteer jobs or go back to school. The rest must clock time in the rubber room or something like it. It is called the rubber room, Mr. Mellon says, because a few days in there makes you go crazy. Every once in a while, God interrupts the life of a man and sends him to the rubber room. Uh, it, happened, uh, it happened to Winston Churchill. He had just led England to victory in World War II. He was coming up for re-election. He anticipated a landslide victory in appreciation for his leadership to the nation and was absolutely stunned to find out he had been voted out of office. Stunned. Absolutely floored. And his wife Clementine said to him, I, I believe it is a blessing in disguise. And he said, well, it is very, very effectively disguised. <laughs> what was he going to do? He was going to do nothing. There's the last thing we want to do as men. It's to do nothing. For to do nothing, you see, drives us crazy. Sometimes God interrupts our lives. Uh, sometimes we have a setback. During the break, we were all getting acquainted 
one of the guys came up to me, and, and he's in between in jobs and actively looking and asking if there's a group here and, and that type of thing. And, and I said, I believe there is. And, you know, we were just exchanging that. He, uh, he wants to provide. He wants to work. He wants to be productive, uh, has responsibilities to meet. If you've been there, you know what that's like. Uh, for most of us guys, we get our self-worth from what we do. We want to do something. We want to be productive. We want to be achieving. We want to be making strides in life. We want to be doing well. And when that is uh, taken away from us, it, it's devastating. I said last week that when you look at the life of Joseph, you see, you see a series of ups and downs. You see him in Genesis 39. Genesis 39, he starts down because his brothers had just sold him into slavery. He's 17 years old, so he shows up, and he's on the auction block at the slave market uh, in, in Egypt. And this guy Potiphar buys him, uh, and he goes to work for Potiphar, probably at the low end of the uh, spectrum for the slaves. But the hand of God was upon him, the scriptures tell us, and he, I'm sure he worked hard, and he was faithful, and had a good attitude, uh, and he starts getting promoted. And before you know it, Joseph is running the whole show for Potiphar. Uh, Potiphar really has given him responsibility for the whole deal. If you, if you look at uh, verse 5 of 39, see, he started down, now he's up. It came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he owned. This guy's a slave. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned, the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him there, he did not concern himself with anything, anything except the food which he ate. Joseph was up. What, what good fortune. I mean, who would have expected that to come into Egypt as a slave? Doesn't know the language, has no connections. I mean, you're a slave, you're a slave. Probably dead in five, six, seven, eight, nine years. And now he's got this position of responsibility. He's got a pretty darn good life. Um, he's not bored. He's administrating, he's managing, he's budgeting. He's taking care of business for uh, Potiphar, who was uh, official over the bodyguard of, of Pharaoh. High-placed guy. But just as things are going well, he goes down again because Potiphar's wife, whom we like to call predator, as you look at verse 10, 9 and 10, she wants Joseph to sleep with her. And it says in verse 10, uh, she spoke to Joseph day after day, and he wouldn't do it. Um, what's the old saying? About a, there's something about a woman scorned. There's no... Hell have no fury as a woman scorned. Yeah. That's it. That's Proverbs 3.12, I think. <laughs> it's not in Proverbs, but it's kind of in Proverbs. Uh, if, if you take a good-looking, rich Egyptian chick who's botops and nicked and tucked and uh, siliconed in the whole thing and who works out and has nothing to do but have lunch, and she sees a young stud like Joseph, she wants to sleep with him, and he won't do it, 
He won't do it. And day after day, she's trying to get him to do it. That didn't go over real big. And we surmised last week that uh, she lied and she perjured herself and said, this, he tried to rape me. He didn't. It, it wouldn't be too far out of the realm of possibility to, to just see how she could have threatened him and say, hey, I'm telling you, if you won't do this, I'll tell my husband that you tried to rape me. I mean, I, I don't think that is a stretch at all. Uh, she had no morals, none whatsoever. So if she'd sleep with a guy, why wouldn't she try to blackmail the guy? Uh, you know, hey, you've got this wonderful position. One word to my husband, I can blow the whistle on you, and you're in trouble. You'll lose all this overnight. So you better do what I say. He wouldn't do it. She, she cries rape. Joseph's life, which was going very, very well, is suddenly, well, now he's back down. Because now she's accused him. And if you look at 39, verse 19, there's a lot in this chapter, isn't there? A lot of ups and downs. Now, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. He's back in a pit. I mean, it's a jail, but it's a pit. Um, and if you read Psalm 105, they had him in chains, and they had him, they, they, had him in, they had him in irons. It doesn't say that here, but it says in Psalm 105. Now, here's Joseph in jail, in chains. Here's the question. Had Joseph done anything wrong? No. But he has this major setback. He has this major interruption. He has this, uh, see, when you fall into the pit, uh, your plans and your hopes and your dreams and your goals and your objectives, they're all put on hold. What, what happens is your life is now delayed. When, when you're in an Egyptian jail, when you're in an Egyptian uh, dungeon, when you're in a pit, um, you don't call the ACLU to get you out. You're in there for the duration. Life was going well. It was, it was coming along nicely. He couldn't believe his good fortune. Now, now here's the deal. This, this chick keeps tempting him, and he honors God by refusing to give in to the temptation. And what happens to him? He gets blindsided. And, and how is he rewarded for his faithfulness to God? He winds up back in jail. Sometimes what God allows to come into our lives is extremely confusing. Now, I mean, I find that to be the case, don't you? Sure you do. It, it doesn't quite add up. It doesn't make sense. I mean, if you sleep with a chick and you get caught, you, all right, okay, I screwed up. I messed up. I mean, I, they throw me in jail. All right, well, you know what? I shouldn't, I shouldn't have done it in the first place. But to resist her, to walk, to literally run away from her, and to find yourself in jail, your life put on hold, all of the privileges and all of the 
the position you had earned is gone. That's tough to swallow. Sometimes God steps in and God delays our progress through life. The key word tonight is going to be delay. D-E-L-A-Y. Because he's God, he can do anything he wants. And because he's God, whatever he does is right. Psalm 119, verse 68. You know, Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Bible. Psalm 119, 68 says, The Lord is good and does good. But it always doesn't look good to us. In fact, it's the actual opposite of good. I mean, if you're Joseph, and this happens to you, and you're falsely accused, some of you guys in here have been falsely accused. You know what that feels like. You've been betrayed. You've been set up. Someone lied about you. That's tough to swallow. It's, it's tough not to hate that person. It's tough not to want um, uh, revenge on that person. And, and see, a lot of people in America have been hurt and lied about and all that. And see, that's why we love all these movies where... Where the guy, he just he carries around a dirty Harry. What did he carry around? What was that sucker? Some kind of a forty-four Magnum. Well, dirty Harry just goes and kills the sucker. <sighs> All right, you see, because you see, we can't do that. But sometimes we'd really like to do it. This, this, stuff, this stuff isn't easy to swallow. If you've been on the receiving end of something like this, it's very, very bitter. It's very hard. It, it, it's, it's like taking that... Uh, my, my grandmother thought castor oil could fix anything. And when I'd stay when I was a little kid at Nana's house, and I learned, I mean, I wasn't real old, but I learned real quick. If, if I had a cough or a cold, I'd try to hide it. Because I'm telling you something, she'd pull out this castor oil. And whatever it was I had, and whoever sick I was feeling, was nothing compared to how sick I would feel <laughs> after having taken um, a couple of shots of castor oil. That's how life feels sometimes. I think that's how Joseph was feeling here. So I, I see some principles in this section of his life on delays because we've got our palm pilots and we have our daytimers and we have our quarterly, our 90-day plans. And some of us have our 12-month plans. And if you're really on top of it, you've got a seven-year plan. And uh, I think God just loves those things. I really do. I think he loves them. And I think he gets a kick out of them. Uh, nothing wrong with having a plan. Nothing wrong with thinking things through. I mean, you know, Jesus said you don't build a tower unless you think it through if you can afford to do it. So 
we're not, we're, we're not just casting aside the idea of planning. You've got a plan. But when you make those plans, you don't get married to your plans. When you make those plans, you don't depend on your plans. When you make those plans, there's got to be a degree of flexibility. You, you know, um, Jan Karen or Caron, I'm not sure how you pronounce her last name, uh, has written a series of uh, novels about a guy named Father, what's his name? I can't remember his name. Anybody know what I'm talking about? In North Carolina, this guy has a little church. The Midford Tales. Yeah, yeah, the Midford Tales. And I had never heard of them until I was in... Uh, uh, Lifeway contacted me a few years ago about doing a, a video series, and a small group series, and, and so we agreed to do it, and uh, uh, they agreed to pay for it. I said, sure, I'll do it. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> And it was really gracious to them. And so we put everything on tape. And now it's used in churches around the country. And it's an eight-part video series. Well, well we, we uh, did the actual inside stuff in Orlando at some church who had a studio. And then I came home for a couple of days. And then I went to North Carolina. There's a place up there called Blowing Rock, North Carolina. And it's up by Grandfather Mountain. And it's beautiful. I'd never been there. Never heard of it. And we're in this little town of Blowing Rock. And I mean, it's really a neat little mountain town. I mean, real, everything's kind of antique and, you know, you know that stuff. And somebody says, and anyway, we're in this restaurant. People are everywhere. And I thought, what, what is going on here? And they said, well, well, this is where the Mitford Tales are based. I said, what are the Mitford Tales? And this gal, Jan Carone, was an advertising executive in New York and you know, came back home to North Carolina. She wanted to write. And she starts writing about this guy, Father, what's his name? What's his name? Father Kim. Yeah, it's Father something. Father Kavanaugh. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Father Time. I don't know what his name is. It's something. But these neat little stories. They're just nice little stories about these little, these people in this little town. And this guy, he loves the Lord and he, he takes care of these people and shepherds them. He's just a small-town pastor. And they're just good, clean little stories. And what's happening, and they sell by the jillion. And what's happened is she used to live there. She had to move out of the town because everybody's coming there. They want to see what this is like. Midford, they come to, they come to Blowing Rock, North Carolina. Because, see, that's kind of idyllic, and that's the way we all like for life to be. Now, I told you that story and I have no idea why I told you the story. Because I got so into it, and I went into so much detail, I completely lost my point. I think Joseph, when he was in the dungeon, wished he lived in Blowing Rock. That's the best I can do. I think he wished he was in Father Time's church. Um, I have absolutely... I was on what? Daytimers, planning. It still didn't help me. It doesn't work. It sure made sense when I got into it. I don't know. Um, I just got it. In that book, in the book, she's got a great line, and it's a line this father, what's his name, uses all the time. He'll say to somebody who's having a hard time, or he'll say to his wife, there's a family issue, or he'll, maybe two or three times in the book, and then through all the other books, because I read them all, she, 
he'll grab somebody's hand and he'll say, and they're just broken hearted. And he said, let's pray the prayer that's always answered. And they kind of look at him. The prayer that's always answered is, not my will, but thine be done. That's the prayer that's always answered. So sometimes our lives are delayed and sometimes our lives are interrupted. I want you to note here the sovereign hand of God. Once again, see, we know the story of Joseph and we know where this was going. He didn't know any of this. He'd never, sit, he'd never gone to Bible study fellowship and, and spent six months in Genesis. You know, he'd never taken a course in Dallas Seminary in, in Genesis. He's just showing up and living. All he knows is life was good, now it's falling apart. First observation tonight, God's delays are not God's denials. That phrase has been around a long time. God's delays are not God's denials. Here's the delay. We just read it, 19. When his master heard the words of his wife, she spoke to him. This is what your slave did to me. His anger burned. He puts him in jail. Suddenly, Joseph's life and his fast track out of slavery is delayed. But here's something really interesting. Here's the second observation. God's delays did not interrupt God's goodness. He's in jail, but watch what happens in jail. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. That's pretty wild. This is the second time we've seen this. He's in Potiphar's house. He's got no rights. He's got nothing. He's a slave. He's the new slave on the block. And the hand of God is gracious and kind, and the favor of God is on Joseph as he is a, uh, uh, a slave, absolutely, you, you talk about no rights. That was Joseph. But the hand of God is on him, and, and God starts getting Potiphar um, intrigued with Joseph, and, and he's doing some things right, and, and God's with him, and God's favor is with him, and the goodness of God is with him in the midst of his slavery, and, and he's promoted. Then he gets thrown in jail, and the same thing happens to him in jail. See, this is what God does. See, we think when these interruptions come into our lives, and we've got our plans, and we thought it was going to work this way, and, you, you know, this is the way we wanted to see things go, and it doesn't quite come together. And, and, and sometimes we struggle with that, and sometimes we... We don't understand why God's, why has it gone this way? Why haven't you done this? And what? Because you see, we want it done. We want to get it. We want it happening. We, we, we want to check it off our list. We, we, we like to set goals and we like to, we like to see things accomplished and we want to achieve and we don't want to be in the rubber room. We don't want to be there from 6 to 2.30 every day doing nothing because we go crazy. So we hate delays. 
But here's the deal about delays. The delay is good. The delay is necessary. The delay is part of the plan. He's doing some things that you have no idea about. You don't have a clue. You've got a very limited perspective. I have a limited perspective. I don't understand why this is happening to me. You know the advantage of getting into your 50s? I'm trying to think of one. You don't have to go through your 40s again. I'll tell you, that's a good one. You don't have to go through your 30s again. You don't have to go through your 20s again. You can do what? You can take your teeth out. I haven't gotten there yet. Yeah, good. Your dad would do that. Good. Yeah. That's not helping me at all tonight. That's actually discouraging me, but that's all right. It's all right. It's input to ponder. I was going to say it's something to chew on, but you can't do that without teeth, can you? Well, we, we don't understand. Why, why is this happening to me? Now, here's what's interesting about getting a little further down the trail in life. When you're in your 40s, when you're in your 50s, 60s, further go down, down the road of life, you can look back and you got some, you can look back, you got some history with the Lord and you got some tough stretches. More than one. But you're far enough down the road, you look back and you see his goodness. Don't you? Which was so hard and so bitter and so tough and kept you up at night. And he's like, dog. Gone it. What is going on here? And you were just, you're kind of fighting him and you're kind of fighting at the bit. And see, now you're, now you're down the road and you kind of look back and you go, gosh, was he ever gracious to me? He was so good to me. If I had gone off that way, the way I wanted, look what I couldn't have handled that. Hmm. My son John made this uh, CD for me of country and western songs and uh, he'll make them for me every once in a while I never, what's, I never know what's going to be on there he'll just make them on his, his uh, whatever that computer's called and put it together and give it to me he gave me one and um, it, 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 and the first song was uh, Farther Along We'll Know All About It that's pretty good so I put that in, and I'll listen to it sometime. I mean, I remember from that when I was a kid. Farther along, we'll, all, we'll know all about it. Farther along, we'll understand why. And then he's got um, um, Tim McGraw singing about wanting to move out in the country. We can watch the green grass grow and his corn grow up in rows. And that's a good song. I like that song because I like theology like that. And, uh, and then the next song, he's got Garth Brooks. Garth Brooks doesn't strike me as a great theologian but Garth Brooks wrote a song one time it's got great theology and the song says one of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers is that not true you bet it is and you know it is see God delays us for a reason even in God's delays 
he was good to Joseph. Even, um, uh, where was I this weekend? Cincinnati. And a guy came up to me during the break. And th this guy was, I, I don't want to exaggerate this, but this guy had a real big smile on his face. I said something, and, and he identified with it. He said, i got to tell you something, Steve. He said, I've been uh, out of work for six months. I imagine he was late 50s. So I was in the corporate world. I, I, you know, out of work for six months. And, and you know this happens. I mean, they lay guys off in their 50s. And, and I heard another guy today actually say this. They'll lay you off in your 50s because they can hire some kid in, in his 20s uh, and pay him, you know, two-thirds less money than they're paying you, and they can burn him out and, you know, cause him to get a divorce. It's really neat how, how the corporate thing works sometimes unless they have a Christian concept of their company. But, but you know it's a jungle out there. And this guy had been, you know, he'd had that happen to him. But he said, I start a job on Monday. But he said, you know what, I wouldn't trade these six months for anything in the world. He said, in, in many ways, they've been the best six months of my life, and I was really frightened when I got laid off. But he said, I, I, he, he said, the goodness of God the goodness of God. And, and I've seen God do more things in my life personally. I mean, this guy was just glowing. How is that? Well, well, hey, when he got that notice that he was done, he was finished? Think there was a little concern? Think there was a little anxiety? You, you know there was. Did he know that he was going to, did he know how long he was going to be out of work? No. That's why there was anxiety. even in the six months of delay of his career. You know what he was talking to me about during the break? The goodness of God. So God's delays did not interrupt God's goodness. Let me give you another observation. This is really wild to me because this is how God works. God delayed because Joseph lacked a strategic ally. Let me say this again to you. God delayed because Joseph lacked a strategic ally. See, a lot of times we wonder, well, God, why have you done this? Because you see, we need some things we don't even know we need. We think we know our needs, and, and you know, you've got a list of needs in front of you, but see, you've got needs you don't know about. But God knows all those things. So sometimes God will delay because there's something or someone you need for God's ultimate purpose for your life, and they are not there yet, and so things have got to be delayed. Because God is overseeing. Um, have you ever seen a picture uh, in, in a, outside a major city of all of where all the train tracks come together? I mean, they got nine jillion boxcars and, and, you know, tracks and, uh, locomotives and uh, you ever see, you know what I'm talking about? You've seen it, you got that picture in your head and it's shot from up high and you look at that like, you know, the tracks outside of Chicago or something and you're thinking, who is, who is the guy that's responsible for that? How does that sucker sleep at night? Now, now they got computers. I mean, before they had computers. How do you get the right boxcar 
from Oakland over here going to Mississippi and all that, and you multiply that about 12,000 times every day. How in the world do you do? I don't know, but somehow they do it. Now, you take our lives and the complexity of our lives, and you just take that to the thousandth power. It's no problem to God. God delayed because Joseph lacked a strategic ally. We're going to see this in chapter 40, verses 1 through 6. So here's Joseph. Now Joseph is running the jail. Isn't that great? He's thrown in jail, but the good hand of God, he's running it. He's ordering the food. You know, he's making sure the laundry guys are doing the laundry, the KP, you know, the whole thing. He, he's, he's running the jail. Verse uh, 1, chapter 40. Then it came about after these things that he's in jail. The cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. So these are two high up guys. You know, the baker is the gourmet guy. Uh, you know, some guy in the food channel had his own show and, and, the, and the pharaoh brings him in. And the cupbearer, that's, that's a big deal because the cupbearer was responsible for the wine and the quality of the wine and the cupbearer would sip the wine before the king would get it to make sure it wasn't poisoned. So it was someone who was a confidant of the king and someone who was trusted. These, these are cabinet-level positions, if you will, in a sense. They don't seem like it, but they were, these guys were big-time big boys. But verse 2, Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, in the jail. Did you catch that? In the house of the captain of the bodyguard. Well, who was the captain of the bodyguard? Potiphar. Isn't it interesting that it was Potiphar who bought Joseph when Joseph came to Egypt? That's why we say there is no chance in the Christian life. God oversees everything, even the one who purchased him. There was a reason for all of this. As believers, we never suffer randomly. We never suffer just to suffer. Your circumstances, God is sovereign over your circumstances. He's not wondering what's going to happen. He's working. He's always working. He's always up to something. Nothing is out of his control. You know, uh, Hebrews says he he upholds all things by the word of his power. I think that's Hebrews. And the idea there is he continually upholds all things. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. See, for what God had Joseph to do down the road, uh, Joseph didn't have what he was going to need. And did Joseph know he was going to need something? No, because he didn't know what God was going to do down the road. You don't know what God's going to do in your life down the road. You think you might know. You may have an idea. You know what you might like him to do, but you don't know what God wants to do in your life. So here's Joseph, and he's chief of the jail, and these two guys get thrown in. He has no idea that one of these guys is going to play a very key role in his life down the road. Something that he needs that he's lacking in his life right now. The captain of the bodyguard, I'm in four. Put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night, once again by chance. Each man with his own dream and each dream with his own interpretation. Then Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them. Behold, they were dejected. Okay. Now, this is great stuff. Joseph doesn't know anything. 
He doesn't know what's going to happen. He's in jail. And once again, God's been so gracious to be good to him, and he's running the jail. So these two honchos get thrown in, and, and he's taking care of them, and he's talking to them and all. He's checking on them. Had no idea that one of these guys was going to be used by God. See, see, a lot of times, you know what we do? We worry about stuff. Because we're trying to get ahead and we're trying to... And, and so you know what guys do? Guys do things they don't need to do. Like guys falsify their resumes. You don't need to falsify your resume. Yeah, but I need to have this qualification. No, you don't. Well, I mean, it'd be great. Yeah, but I wish I had had it and I wasn't smart enough to go get it and all that. Okay, well, you didn't go get it. All right. Why don't you do this? Why don't you trust God with that? Instead of putting something down that isn't true. And how many, how many stories can we tell about that? The guy that put down that he graduated from a Bible college. Do you, you think he wished he could have that one back? Sure he did. I mean, we could throw stones at that. You know that guy's dying. And who's ever going to check on a Bible college? Who would lie about a Bible college? Hmm. See, we, we think, because we, we want to get ahead, and, and, you know, we missed something, or we weren't smart enough to go do it, so we change things up. Or we compromise something that we shouldn't have compromised. Or... You know, we don't know anybody. We don't know anybody in high places and we wish we had a network or, or we wish, hey, hey guys, you know what? God knows where you are. He's your network. He's the one who promotes. Not from the east, not from the west. Comes exaltation. But God raises up one and he sets down another. Psalm 75. Uh, Joseph didn't have what he needed to have. Listen, Joseph was going to be the number two guy in the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. He didn't have the credentials to get there. But did God get him there? Yeah. Because see, all those powerful guys you think you need to impress, you know what? They're just little snots to God. Snotsizo in the Greek, I think, is what it is there. <laughs> you know, the guys you're so impressed with and the powerful guys, they're just nothing. They breathe because God lets them breathe. You know that? He's running the show. So, where are we? God delayed because Joseph lacked a strategic ally. So the strategic ally that's going to be used to change Joseph's life gets thrown in prison. So for him to get thrown in prison, God had to be sovereign over whatever it was that happened between him and Pharaoh. And God had to be sovereign into whatever it was that got him promoted to be there in the first place. And God had to be sovereign in giving him the gifts when he was in his mother's womb so that he would even be noticed by Pharaoh to get to the position so that he would be trusted by Pharaoh so that he would ultimately be ticked off so that he would ultimately be put in prison so that he would be available to Joseph. Do you see how God works everything? Here's my next observation. God delayed 
because Joseph lacked a strategic ability. You say, what was that? Let's look at seven. He asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? They said, well, we had a dream. There's no one to interpret it. Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. Now, is there any record of Joseph ever interpreting a dream before? No. No. This is, this is kind of reminiscent of, uh, uh, of another passage of Scripture with Daniel. Flip over to Daniel, if you would, right after Ezekiel. And Daniel and his buddies, you know, are taken away from the nation of Judah, and they're taken into captivity, and they're in Babylon, and they got a new life, and they got a new language, and they've got a new culture, and they're ripped out of what they all loved, and uh, it's, you talk about a huge change, just as Joseph was ripped away from what he loved. Uh, what happens in uh, Daniel 2 now, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king gave orders to call the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. The king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. The Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. It's what you always want to say to a king. They said, tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king said to the Chaldeans, the command for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. He didn't want the interpretation. He wanted these guys to tell him the dream. Or I'm going to kill all of you. So that's what this is all about. I mean, he's, he's playing hardball here. And in verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king. Inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the, king which the, uh, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except God's. Well, they were almost right. Except God whose dwelling place is not with mortal men. Because of this, the king became indignant, very furious, gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. The decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment. Boy, those are two great words. To Arioch, captain of the king's bodyguard. Gee, there you have it again. Interesting how these guys wind up in difficult circumstances that God wants to use. And he says, what's going on here? What, what's, what's the king upset? What, tell me what's going on here. Why is this so urgent? 15, Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Up until this time, there's no record that Daniel had ever interpreted a dream. What did Daniel need here? Uh, Daniel needed a strategic ability that he didn't have. Uh, to put it another way, Daniel lacked a strategic ability. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, 
Mishael and Azariah about the matter, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as their new names were, so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning the mystery, so that Daniel and his friends could, uh, would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. God gave it to him. And then he goes into the king. Daniel had never interpreted a dream. Back here in Genesis, Joseph had never interpreted a dream. These guys both have dreams on the same night. Um, this is pretty interesting to me. I, I think there are times in life where God wants to take us to a deeper level and God wants to hone us and, and he wants to refine us but we're lacking something that we need. And you know what he'll do? He'll supply it. He'll give you what you don't have when you need it. Uh, Jesus said to his disciples, when they call you up before the council, don't worry about what you will say because it will be given to you in that hour. It's the great thing about God. See, Daniel, uh, what was it? What, what, uh, now think about this. What was going to happen down the road? You guys know what was going to happen. Pharaoh was going to have a dream. Pharaoh wanted someone to interpret. Nobody could interpret it. Okay. So this guy is going to say, hey, wait a minute. I know a guy that can interpret dreams. He's down in the basement. He's down in the dungeon. Well, now, how did all that come about? Because prior to that, Two years prior to that, this guy's thrown in jail, and the other guy's in jail, and on the same night, they both have dreams, and Daniel is able to do something that up until then, he's never been able to do. He lacked an ability, which he was going to need to have for ultimately what God was going to call him to do. So what did God do? God gave it to him when he needed it. A lot of times, here's what happens to us. We're acutely aware of what we can't do. Don't, don't you sometimes look at other guys and think to yourself, I wish I could be like him? Because he's able to do what you're not able to do? Man, I wish I had that gift, or I wish I had this ability, or I wish I had this. Or I you know what? God doesn't, God doesn't want you to be him. God wants you to be you. And if you're lacking something, but you're needing it, hey, let me tell you something. If you're lacking a gift or an ability or a strength, I want you to follow me here. It's because the work that God ultimately has for you to do does not require those gifts or abilities or strengths. For what he has for you to do, he has equipped you with those gifts or abilities. Now, some gifts, some abilities are latent. You don't know they're there. And once again, as you get older in life, sometimes you discover something that you didn't even know you had. You're not believing me. Has anybody ever had that happen to them? You discovered something later in life that when you were in your 20s, you didn't even realize you had this skill because it's under the radar. And it's not until a certain situation comes out that requires it that you realize you got it. No, who gave it to you? The Lord gave it to you. But it's just making an appearance at the right time. Joseph never interpreted a dream in his life. 
but you've got one of these God-made custom situations. These guys both, Joseph says, so what are your dreams? Tell me. <laughs> and God gives him the interpretation. This is wild stuff, I think. So catch this now. We've seen, hey, all Joseph knows, he's delayed. Some of you guys in here feel delayed. All right, if you feel delayed, you need to get this. And you need to ponder it. And you need to think about it. Because the same God who did this, listen, he put this in the Bible for a reason. He just didn't put it in because he needed more words. He didn't put it in because he was short on a word count. This isn't fluff. This is for a reason. So Joseph lacked what he didn't even know he lacked it. He lacked a, a, a he lacked a particular ability, and he lacked an ally that he didn't even know he was going to need. So you can read about what he does here. He, uh, he interprets the dreams. And look at verse 12. The guy tells him his dream, the, the cupbearer. And Joseph says to him, all right, here's the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you will put Pharaoh's cup into, the hand, into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. In other words, you're going to get your job back, man. That's what this dream means. Okay? And then the chief baker in verse 16, when he sees that uh, uh, he had interpreted favorably the dream, he said to Joseph, hey, I saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread in my head. And the top baskets were all sorts of bird, uh, baked food for Pharaoh and the birds reading out of the basket. Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. Three baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and will hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh off of you. Gee, I'm sorry I asked. <laughs> and what they do back then, the Egyptians, what they, they didn't hang guys, but they would cut off their heads and then impale their body on a, uh, on a tree. And he'd be hanging out there for a while. Um, 20. Then it came out on the third day, which is Pharaoh's birthday. And just to celebrate, he made a feast for all the servants. He lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among the servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, or impaled him, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Now, you know what? That had to encourage Joseph that three days later, he never interpreted a dream before. And three days later, he told the guy, three days, you're going to be back there. What happened three days later? It all comes true what the Lord had given him to say. Now, I mean, let's be honest. Don't you think he was sweating it a little bit? I mean, I think he was. I mean, how did he know? I mean, he thought, but he'd, he'd never done it before. He's just a guy like us. You ever had God ever make something clear? You want to, he wants you to step out in faith, and you okay, and you, gosh, you know, I hope this isn't crazy. I hope I'm not nuts here. I hope you don't know. Okay. Verse 14. To the uh, cupbearer, only keep me in mind when it goes well with you. 
In other words, when you get your job back, keep me in mind when it goes well with you, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. Why? Because he's tired of being delayed. Yeah, he's running the jail, but I mean, you know what? He's doing nothing, what he wants to do. For I was, in fact, kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here, I catch this, I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. And he didn't do anything that deserved that. So what does he say to the guy? He says, hey, when you get back up there, don't forget me. Look at verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Do you know why he forgot Joseph? He wasn't ready yet. Because God made him forget Joseph. Fifth observation, God delayed because his timing is perfect. Once again, God delayed because his timing is perfect. Don't forget me, the guy forgot. Look at 41.1. Now, it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. We'll save this for next time. But in other words, he interprets the dream. The guys go back. The guy's going to go to work for Pharaoh. This is a strategic guy. He's got the ear of Pharaoh. Joseph says, don't forget me. And the guy forgets. And the next two years, he's cooling his heels. And, and I think he's wondering why. Uh, let me give you two verses here. First one is Isaiah 64.4. And it says this. No eye has seen a God like thee who works for those who wait for him. The problem with waiting, the problem with being delayed, here's the problem. You're putting out resumes, you're doing all this stuff, you're, you know, or you're waiting for your wife to get better or you're waiting to get through the chemotherapy. Or, we're always waiting. God's always got us waiting on something. We're always waiting. You notice this? He's always got us waiting. And what happens is when you're waiting and waiting and waiting, and you think, I shouldn't be waiting this long. And you're still waiting and you're still waiting. So you know what happens? You get discouraged and you lose hope. And you think nothing's happening. This is why you lose hope. Nothing's happening. There's no movement. I can't see that anything has changed. Well, now no eye has seen a God like yours who works for those who wait for him. While you're waiting, God is working. You see, God's got a good old boy network. And the thing is, God created the good old boys. God made them. God put them where he wants them. God runs them. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it whatever way he wishes. God runs it all. So while you're waiting and you think nothing's happening, God is actually working for you. You just can't see what he's doing. Now, if the Lord said, hey, come here, let me show you something. Come here. You see this over here? And you see this, and you see that, you see this frail guy in his silk jammies and his silk underwear? You see this little jerk? I put him up there, a little sniveling. The guy's worthless, but I'm going to use him. And here's what I'm going to do with this guy. And see, this guy is very fearful, and I'm going to show him this crisis. I'm going to put you, and what I'm going to do, but see, I, and, and I'm working, and I'm doing all this stuff with the weather and all this, and then I'm going to do this, and then... And, and you see, then eventually what I'm going to do is you're, all your people are going to come and they're going to be here and they're going to proliferate, pr pr proliferate. And then what's going to happen is 
eventually, you know, for 400 years, they're going to outnumber, they're going to be enslaved. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to take them out and I'm going to receive glory out of that. And they'll talk about that for generations. But see, for all that to happen, this has got to happen. And you've got to be here right now. And it's not ready yet. And Job goes, oh, okay. Oh, gosh, I didn't know that. And you'll take care of me in between, I mean, the two years? Yeah, I'll give you everything you need. Oh, gosh, okay. Well, shoot, I'll just, you know, I mean, read some Tom Clancy books or something. I mean, but see, God doesn't do that, does he? But don't you know he's up to something like that? Or do you? Go to Exodus 12 real quick. See, now we're jumping ahead like 400 years because if God had shown this to Joseph, it would have all made sense to him, but God didn't show it to him because we're supposed to walk by faith instead of sight. See, God wants us to trust him even when we can't see how it makes sense and we can't see the ending. Exodus 12, verse 40. They've been in captivity for 400 years, the whole thing. Moses, the plagues, on Pharaoh, the blood, the Nile River, the frogs, the lice, the whole thing. And they're finally leaving. They're leaving. The Egyptians say, get out of here. Our firstborn are dead. Take our gold, our silver. They plundered the Egyptians. They emptied their safe deposit boxes. They said, here, take it. Just get out of here. Verse 40. Now, the time that the sons of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years to the very day. All the host of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. From the day that Joseph's brothers arrived with their father and the wagons and set up shop in Goshen to the day they left was 430 years to the day. And it was all timed. Oh, and Pharaoh would say, you can go, but you can't go. Okay, you can go, but you can't go. You see, all these delays and all these up and down. But see, that doesn't matter to God because God's running the show and he's running everything and his timing is perfect. He's never been late and he's rarely early. <laughs> Correct? Isn't it? Hasn't it been your experience that you're going down for the count and at the last second, he shows up, and what you need is there. Some of you guys have seen him do that a hundred times. Why wouldn't he do it one more time for you? You know he will. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your greatness. This is for us tonight. We all need to hear it. We all need to be reminded of your goodness and faithfulness. Yeah, we get delayed but we get delayed for good reason. Good reason. We trust you with the interim. And thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.